Hallelujah. I'm certainly glad you're here tonight. Thank you very, very much for coming and being here on special service tonight. And uh, I'm looking forward to trying to get across uh, or the truth here tonight to you. And so uh, I'm excited about it. And I will tell you, it is my intent to continue what we start tonight. Actually, we started it yesterday and uh, continue it even tomorrow night at uh, 7. So uh, encourage you to come, invite people to come, invite someone. You never know who's going to show up if you invite them. And so uh, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Yesterday was just a great, great blessing to me, and I enjoyed uh, all the music. It was really a blessing. And then uh, uh, you were very gracious and kind to me. Thank you for that. And uh, and. I'm just glad to be back tonight. I'm thankful for it. I've enjoyed uh, the time with Brother Alter and Miss Alter. Uh, we've had, uh, I've enjoyed it. I don't know about them. I've had great fellowship. I've enjoyed the time. And uh, so, Brother Jim and I, we really, yesterday afternoon, we did solve quite a few problems uh, of the universe and of America. And uh, so, if uh, people will just listen to us, we've, we've got a good chance to help. So uh, anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me, please. <clears throat> Let me do this. I want to go ahead and say, excuse me. Pardon me. I'm sorry for the times that I might clear my throat. That's coming. That, it covers all of them, so I'm not going to say it again. Okay. All right. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Can somebody say amen? That is fantastic. That's the gospel in its essence uh, out of the scriptures, if someone says, what's the gospel? We usually say it's a death, burial, and resurrection. And they say, well, how does the Bible say it? I say, well, the Bible says death, burial, and resurrection. But if you want to just be precise, you can just quote them, those, verse, those verses. It's, uh, it's 26 words. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say thank you. Thank you for privilege that's mine to be a preacher and to open up your book in front of a congregation that have come on purpose. They've come with intent. They have their Bibles. They're ready. They want to hear what your book says and the truth is. And I pray that you would help me tonight with unction, with utterance, with power to preach and to get across and to communicate the truth. And I pray you would speak to us. For those that are not yet born again, I pray you would speak to them about their eternity and their need to, to be forgiven of their sin, to receive the gospel. And for us that know you, I pray you would uh, speak to us 
If we need it, admonish us or encourage us. God, I just pray that you would help us tonight, that we'd have a, a better, a sweeter, a stronger relationship with you than we had before we came. So thank you that you love us. Thank you for what you're about to do. It's in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, What I, anyway, what I'm going to do, I want to ask you to go with me. We're just going to work through a couple verses here and discover what it's saying and see how it makes application to us. So let's just begin with verse number one there. He says, moreover, brethren. And we can just stop right there and we can identify something right away. He calls them brethren. If he calls them brethren, we automatically know something, don't we? What does that mean? They're saved people. But it's even more than that. We do know that I think it's clear these are born-again people. But there's something else we know. He calls them brethren but we didn't read it, but chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2 there, he's writing to the church at Corinth. So if he's writing to these people that are brethren at the church of Corinth, we know, we know a few things. We know, number one, they're born did again did. Amen? You could say they're saved. All right? So we know that. But we also know because they're at the church of Corinth, they've been baptized. Amen? I didn't make that up. That's a qualification to be part of the Lord's church. First of all, you get saved and then baptized. And so since we're talking about it just because I want to, this is not baptism. Or even this. (laughs) That's baptism. In deep water. So we know, moreover, brethren. So we know these are saved, born again, and baptized people, part of the church. Moreover, brethren, then he says this I declare unto you the gospel. He said, Hey, brethren, I'm getting ready to tell you. I declare, I am announcing, I am pronouncing, I am explaining. The gospel. Excuse me, he's explaining, declaring the gospel to saved, baptized people. That's what he says. Keep going. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. He said, hey, hey, I'm getting ready to tell you the gospel. I've already preached it to you, but I'm getting ready to tell you the gospel anyway. So since you brought it up, he did say he preached it. The gospel is something that's supposed to be preached. It's supposed to be preached. In uh, Mark 16, the Lord said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is something that's supposed to be preached. There is a difference between preached and teached it. Preached means to exhort. It is to proclaim, it is to announce, but it's to exhort to come to a decision. Here's, here's another easy way for me and you to say it. 
To preach to someone means you apply pressure to them. The whole purpose of the pressure is for them to come to a decision. It's not just to aggravate them. It's not just to bother them. It's to... Preaching is making a declaration that you are applying pressure to someone and you want them to come to a decision. Teaching is just giving information. One of my friends says it's the dissemination of information. I really sound really intelligent when I say it like that. Well, I think I sound intelligent. Dissemination of information. But you can teach someone and not apply any pressure to them. But when you preach to someone, you're applying pressure to come to a decision. The gospel is something to be preached, is that we confront people with the bad news. What's the bad news? They're a sinner. And we tell them the good news, Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures. And we say, do you understand that? Oh, yeah. Well, don't you want to receive Christ? Well, I don't think I'm ready to do that. Well, you need to do it, because if you don't do it, you know, you're going to suffer the consequences of the bad news. (laughs) I just don't think I'm ready. And that's not our place. We can't make them ready, can we? But that's why many people say, well, I don't like to go to that church. When I go to that church, they they always make me feel uncomfortable. They're trying to get me to go up there. I don't want to go up there. Is anybody hearing me? I've I've had distinctly, more than once, but two ladies distinctly came up to me. I'd already been there four days. Came up to me and said, Brother Dave, we really like teaching better than preaching. So? See, people don't want anybody, they want, they want to hear the information, but they don't want anybody to apply pressure. You need to start doing it. When you come to that church of God, the gospel is something to be preached, that we want people to say yes to it. But the Bible is to be preached. We want people to say yes to it. Amen. All right. So he says, moreover, brethren, we know they're saved, baptized people. He said, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you. Then he says, which also ye have received. I told you Sunday that the gospel is something that you can receive. That means you also can reject it. I thought this was fascinating. The gospel is something that you can receive because the gospel is something that is authoritative. The gospel is authoritative in the idea of what it's presenting. Now, when I say the gospel is something you have received, it's nothing that I can pass out to you and go, okay, you know, you have the gospel, you have the gospel, you have the gospel. I can't give it to you in a physical manner. The gospel is not something physical. It's something intangible. It is a truth. It's an authoritative truth that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. And it's so authoritative that I, I can't hold it. I can't reach out and grab it, but I can receive it. And the only way you can receive something that you cannot see is by faith. And by faith, I acknowledge and accept that I'm a sinner and that Christ died for my sins. And I believe he did that for me. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible says when you receive the gospel, something marvelous happens. That's tomorrow, the Lord willing. Okay.
Okay, here we go. Watch, watch, watch. He says, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. So where, where is wherein? Wherein ye stand. Well, where are they standing in? Hey, two people got it. Awesome. The gospel is something that when you receive it, he says, this is where in, this is where you're standing. You're standing in the gospel. You're not standing in uh, the church. You're not standing in the religion. You're not standing in the doctrines. You're standing in the gospel. I thought it was fascinating. I'm not a scholar on anything that I'm aware of. My wife might think I'm a scholar on some things. But regardless, I, uh, I know how to read, and I thank God I learned how to read. It's changed my life. And I read that wherein ye stand, that the verb tense for wherein ye stand is perfect tense. I love it. I didn't even know we had a perfect tense. I just thought we had past, present, and future. But there's a perfect tense. Perfect tense means that once it starts, it never stops. I have it written down that it says it like this, is that it, uh, where is, oh yeah, it, it says that it's um, unending, enduring. to sustain. So watch this. The gospel is something that you are standing in and it's, well, it's unending. It's enduring. So here's what, if you're standing in the gospel, here's what that means. That you can have assurance. Well, there's confidence. Security, because you're standing in the gospel. And what's this? It's unending. It's perfect tense. You're not getting it, are you? (laughs) What's this? Once you start standing in the gospel, you can't unstand. Because it's perfect tense. And I learned that because I learned how to read. You could learn it too. I think that is awesome that once you start standing in the gospel, you cannot understand. My security is not in my church. My security is not in my religion. My security is in the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right, keep going. Watch this. <clears throat> oh, my page turn. Verse uh, 2. By which also ye are saved. <laughs> That's awesome. When did I get saved? When I received the gospel. A person gets saved when they receive. Now, if they reject the gospel, they're not yet saved. I will tell you that when I was in high school, my dad's my, he was my preacher, and I grew up in a preacher's home, and that, uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have an awesome Christian testimony in high school, but I would get 
turned on every once in a while. I'd get on fire. I'd get revved up. I'd go to youth rally or youth camp or we'd have a good revival or, you know, the services would be great. And I was listening and God spoke to me and I'd rededicate my life again. And I'd live for God. Sometimes I made it a whole three or four days. Sometimes I made it more than a week. Anyway, when I would have those occasions that I was really loved the Lord and I wanted other people to love him too and know who he was and I'd witness to people and I'd just walk up to somebody, I don't even know him, and I'd go, are you saved? And other people didn't know what saved meant. And they'd look at me and say, uh, from what? And I did that. I witnessed, uh, that was probably at least off and on three years in high school. And I went to college, and I tried to be better at witnessing, but I still basically did the same way. And then people provoked me because they would make fun of the word saved, and I would get mad at them, so I'd want to beat up somebody I'm trying to witness to. That was not a good testimony. So I decided while I was in Bible college that I would not use the word saved anymore when I witness to people because I'm going to kind of sneak up on them. <laughs> and they don't know what saved is anyway. So I got out of Bible college, and my part of my job was to knock on doors and try to get people saved, get them to come to church. And so I didn't use the word saved. But my second or third year out of Bible college while I was working at church, I was reading the Holy Bible. And the Holy Bible uses the word saved. The Philippian jailer. They didn't have churches on every corner. He had two men in prison in the middle cells that were singing and praising God. And the earthquake happened. And he finds out they didn't run away. And he goes, sirs, what must I do to be saved? A Philippian jailer that knows nothing of Christianity knew he needed to be saved. I should never, I'll just say it to you, you should never be ashamed or embarrassed about the word saved. I don't care how much the God-haters and the God-deniers make fun of us and make fun of the word saved. It is a Bible word. Whosoever shall call upon him, on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. It's a good Bible word. Never be ashamed of being saved. It means to be rescued. Hallelujah. Been rescued from my sin. Amen. How do I know? Christ died for my sins, according to the scriptures. Amen. You know what I learned about saved? The verb tense, present tense. Oh, I thought that'd be exciting to you. I'll give you a chance. Present tense. You know one thing about present tense? You can never, you can never get out of present tense. You can't do it. You cannot do it. It's impossible. Now, I, I'm an old person, I know, but I'm fairly quick reflexed. Quick footed, it's amazing. I'm going to touch him on the shoulder. I think I'm Richard here. I'm going to touch him on the shoulder, but you've got to be careful and watch. You ready? You see it? Pretty fast, isn't it? Do you know? Even if it's that fast, I'm still in present tense. It doesn't matter how quick you are, you can't get away from it. You're always present tense. So here it is. Once you get saved, 
You can't get out of it. By which also ye are saved. (coughs) Present tense. You can never ever get out of present tense. Somebody ought to say amen. Now I will tell you. I will tell you. I was talking about this very thing about being saved. And I was. uh, These two college girls. Got their brother to come to church that night. And uh, he. He thinks he's an atheist or an agnostic. And anyway, uh, he came, and so the next night the girls came, and I said, hey, hey, your brother came last night. I said, what did he think? And they said, he thinks you're crazy. I said, well, that's too bad. I said, why? And he said, well, you're up there, and you're telling everybody saved is present tense. A third grader knows if you add E-D on the end of a verb, it is past tense. Well, I will tell you, he wasn't there. But if he was there, I would have said this. Bam! (laughs) And then I'd say, just kidding. I would say to him, you're right. E-D on the end of a verb is past tense. And I'll tell you that I was just a little boy, and that's when I was saved. But today, I'm still saved And tomorrow, I still will be saved. All three tenses are with ED. Again. (laughs) See, God-haters and God-deniers will come up with anything to be aggravating and just to try to argue with you to tell you that that can't be true. But I will tell you, I didn't write it. I'm not the one that decided that it was in present tense. The Scriptures decides it's in present tense. And when you are standing in the gospel, you're secure. It's perfect tense. And when you get saved, it's present tense. You can't get out of it. Amen. I'm just about to get happy and start running around. I'm trying to be calm. By which also ye are saved... That's verse 2. But look at verse 2. Keep looking at it. It continues like this. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. There are many people that would take that verse and say, Hey, Brother Dave, right there it says that you could lose your salvation because it says if you keep in memory. Because if you don't keep it in memory, then you're not saved anymore. Well, friend, that's not at all what the text says. Not even close. Number one O, and I don't mean to speak Spanish to you, but one O is that he just said in perfect tense, that's where you're standing, in present tense, you're saved. He wouldn't say perfect in present tense and then the next word say, well, unless it's not. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Salvation doesn't have anything about you keeping in memory. Salvation has to do whether or not you receive the gospel. Excuse me. uh, I'm pretty sure we know what the gospel is. I've said it several times tonight. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So. If you. You have the gospel, and you receive the gospel of which you're saved, that's how you got saved. You say, well, Brother David says, if 
you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Then watch, it's not done unless you have believed in vain. To believe in vain, vain means empty, useless, no good, no account, zero, nada. To believe in vain means your faith is useless, no good. He says, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, what did he preach? He preached the gospel. If you don't keep that in memory, if you change the gospel in any way, I said it yesterday, it is a a counterfeit gospel. It's no good. The book of Galatians says it's another gospel. And it's useless. It's vain. That's what he is saying. He said that this is how you got saved. Then he goes, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So if you're not going to receive the gospel I preached... Your faith is useless because the gospel, if you have another gospel that I did not preach, your faith is useless. It won't do you any good. It's in vain. Everybody with me? Look at verse 12. There's an illustration right there in the text. I lost my Bible. Just a second. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead. Hey, 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 if there's no resurrection, that's a different gospel than Paul preached. That gospel is useless. It's in vain. It's counterfeit. It's another gospel. And I will tell you, there are churches out here by the scores that have another gospel. Now, let me do this. The Bible, excuse me, the Bible means what it says. The Bible only means what it says. It doesn't mean three things. It doesn't mean three or four things. Well, that's your interpretation. Well, there's only one interpretation of the Bible. There's not three. If us six got together and we had a Bible study and we, all, we had six different interpretations, either all six of us are wrong or only one of us is right. So when he says, unless you believed in vain, the scripture, the text is telling them another gospel is useless. It will not work because it's not the one I preached. But there's another application and there are many applications of scripture. There's only one interpretation, but there's many applications. I want to give you another application. Believing in vain. There are people in this room, and I have no idea who you are. I, I have no memory of, of if this occurred in your life, but I'm just telling you, I already know this. I've been in church my whole life. I already know this. There are some people in this room that at one time in your life, you made some kind of profession. You... You said some words. You prayed a prayer. You got baptized. And then weeks or months or years later, the Spirit of the Holy of the Holy God came by your heart, started convicting you and saying, You're not saved. Well, I prayed and everything. You know you're not saved. You've not put your trust in Christ. And your light came on and you went, I gotta get saved. I don't know who you are, but I already know there's some people in this room that you made a profession, you said some things. When I pastored, 
in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Miss Laura's from. I pastor the Bible Baptist Church there. I'd been there about two months. A family, we had uh, five sections. We had a family set back there, and they sat together, the father, the mother, the daughter, the son-in-law, the daughter, the son-in-law, the daughter and son who weren't married. They all sat on the back row right there, sat there every Sunday until they had too many kids, grandkids, and they had to scatter out some. But in those first three or four months, at, the, at that church, and I'm grateful, there were, people came forward every service. We had people come forward every service. People would be praying and rededicating and recommitting, or there's something they want to give over to God, or, you know, this, all kinds of reasons. People get saved often. It was a blessing. So anyway, uh, Neil McKnight, the son-in-law, came forward, and they prayed with him over here, and, and they filled out a card, and they handed it to me, and I said, hey, hey, Neil, come here. Neil, this says that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Is that true? And he goes, yes, sir. I go, that's a hallelujah. It says you'd like to follow the Lord in baptism. That's true. He goes, yes, sir. So those that received Neil upon his baptism say amen, amen. Everybody's excited. He goes up and gets baptized right then. It was awesome. That's a glory to God. About two months passed or so, and Neil McKnight came forward. And that's not uncommon, people praying, wanting to make things right and all that. I had no idea why he came. They filled out a card. They handed me a card and said, hey, Neil, come here. This says that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Is that true? And he goes, yes, sir. I said, Neil, I thought you did that a couple months ago. And he goes, here's what he said. He said, when I came before, I came to make my mother-in-law and my wife happy. Today I come because I'm a sinner. That needs to be forgiven. Anybody hear me? When he came forward and they dealt with, they dealt with him, they, they, taught, they showed him, they showed him the, the Romans road, they showed him how to pray, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, please forgive me of my sin, come into my heart and save me. He prayed all those words. He got baptized. But he knew it was uh, in vain. And the Holy Spirit was kind enough to speak to his heart about that. It was in vain. He got saved. Is everybody hearing me? Oh, mercy. I love it that God doesn't give up on us. Even when we are confused or we think that we did it or we think everything is the Holy Spirit of God knows if we're born did again did. He knows. When he comes by, bring a conviction on our heart. Don't wrestle him and fight him. Don't try to convince him, I know what I did. He knows what you did too. Amen? We need to be sure that we know we're forgiven of our sin. That's serious beeswax. Well, I'm not done. The next verse, I can't wait to tell you some stuff. Watch this, this is so cool. He says, verse number three, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that, here's the gospel, Christ died for our sins. Yesterday we talked about that quite a bit. There's still much more to say about it, but that's not my message tonight. My message concludes tonight with that, um, I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received. Uh, when you hear the word delivered, what do you think of? There's something that's got to come in your brain when you hear, hey, they delivered. 
pizza. <laughs> I expected it from teenagers, not some old person, but anyway. But yeah, we think of delivering pizza, or we think of UPS, or we think of the post office, we think of the trucking company they delivered. There are, praise God, there are some women who say, having a baby. And us men go, I'm glad it ain't me. (laughs) But I delivered. I love it that Paul said in verse number one, he said, said, uh, I declare in the gospel which I preach. And then he says in verse three, he said, I delivered unto you. He said, what he's doing, he's delivering to them the gospel. I love it. Now, I will tell you, the very first thing I think of when I hear the word delivery or delivered, I'm sorry, I just, this is what I think of. I think of baseball. I enjoyed baseball quite a bit as a kid and a young man, and so on. I love baseball. And the, I'm left-handed. The pitcher, when he, when he throws the ball to the plate, what they call that, that's his delivery. He delivers the ball to the plate what he's supposed to do. And in baseball, I'll just go ahead and tell you, they wanted me to be a pitcher, but I, I couldn't be one. I couldn't hit the target enough. Plus, I didn't throw it very fast. I threw like real slow. My teammates say, oh, McCracken, we love it when you pitch. It's like someone's throwing a watermelon up there. <laughs> anyway, I played outfield and first base. But in baseball, the pitcher, he delivers the ball. Now, pitcher, he, he should most deliver overhand like this. And then they are supposed to stand square. Mostly, one, it's because they get better push-off, they have better control. But I wanted to stand square in case they hit it back at me that I could dodge and not get killed. So anyway... But here's what I've learned about pitchers. None of them deliver the same. Some pitchers deliver overhand like this, and they can move the ball. They can turn the ball down or turn the ball sideways or throw a knuckleball, uh, and they throw it from the same arm position. There are other pitchers that they throw sidearm, and most of their deliveries are all sidearm. Some years ago, you'd have to be a pretty old person, but a guy for Kansas City Royals he threw almost underhand. It's called submarine. His hand would almost hit the ground. He would throw the ball like this, and it would come up like that. And it was a unique picture. He went to the World Series. It's pretty cool. But anyway, they, everybody delivers different. Amen? All right, now what, 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 what's the purpose? The purpose is he's going to throw to the catcher, and the catcher has a catcher's mitt. The catcher is supposed to catch it. He also wants the batter not to hit it. Amen? So, but he's supposed to throw where the catcher puts the mitt. He's supposed to throw it. He has a target to hit. Now, here's what I've learned about a preacher is supposed to deliver the message. You know what I've learned about us preachers? We all do it a little different. Everybody doesn't deliver the message the same way. We deliver it differently. Pastor Alter and I, we do not deliver the same. 
We're not supposed to. Is everybody with me? No, 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 you're not getting it yet. Oh, you're almost there. When we deliver, you know what's supposed to happen out there? You're supposed to catch it. You're supposed to catch it on purpose. You're supposed to be ready. But I, I've been doing this. I've been preaching a long time. I'm an old person now. I grew up in church. My dad was my pastor. I've been in church my entire life. And I'm telling you, many, many people come to the house of God. They don't even think about bringing their mitt, their glove. They didn't come to catch anything. The, pit, the preacher's up there, he's throwing the best he can. He's flinging them down. He's delivering the message. And there are people out there like this going. Don't even, not even interested in trying to catch it. And then I've been preaching a long time. I've been preaching a long time. And I, I'm telling you, I've seen people do this. Hey, you almost hit me. I did not come here to be hit. Leave me alone. Now, I, know, I know some of you get under conviction. You feel like, well, I better act like I'm a listening. I better be engaged with the preacher. So I'll bring my mint. Hey, preacher, here it is. Here's the target preacher. <sighs> Do you know that every time a pitcher throws a ball, it doesn't always go exactly where he wants it to? Sometimes, sometimes the catcher's got to be ready and get down in the dirt and get it. Sometimes the catcher's got to be ready. He's got to be on guard. He goes, whoa, I got it. I got a hernia, but I got it. (laughs) I'm ready. Come on, preacher. There are so many people that do not come engaged. They don't even think about having their mitt. They're not even thinking about catching what the preacher says. And the preacher's doing his best to throw. Every time us preachers preach, we don't throw exactly perfect every time. Sometimes you're going to have to try to get it. Why well, didn't come here to like try to get it? Sometimes we can't, we can't hit the target every time. Sometimes you've got to do that and do that. Sometimes you might go out and say, well, the altar, I'm telling you, I caught it. I might have got a hernia, but I caught it. At least you're engaged with him. I've told people across the country, the best thing, the best thing you can do for your pastor in a church service, the best thing you can do for him is be engaged. Listen to him. People think we don't know you're not listening. You're daydreaming. You're asleep. You're doing something else. They think, well, you didn't know I wasn't listening. We know you're not listening. But we also know when people are engaged and they're going, okay, I'm ready. I want to catch it. I want to catch it. 
You're wild. Sometimes it's hard, but I'm going to try. I delivered unto you. But here's the part I want to get to. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Paul had received the gospel, but I like how he uses the word first. When he says, I delivered unto you first, you know what he's saying? He said, I'm delivering unto you what's most important. What's first in sequence? What's first in position? What was first? What's first? Uh, The gospel. Is any other thing in the Bible important? Yes. Yes, it's very important. But I'm telling you what's first, what's number one, is the gospel. Here's how I say it. I'm from Kentucky and Oklahoma. I say it like this. It's the main thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's the main thing. And we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? I know how I'm pronouncing it. It's thang. Now, I didn't used to know I was saying it like that. There's a lady, her husband pastors in Boulder Green, Kentucky, where I got saved at Grace Baptist Church. Her husband's now the pastor there. When he, God called him to preach, she and her husband both had just finished secular college. They both have degrees. She was going to be a school teacher, and God called, them, called him to preach. So he went off to Bible college, and she got a job at a secular elementary school, and she's teaching. Her name is Miss Carson. She said, this is her testimony, it's not mine. She said, the lady who was doing the spelling bee had to leave. And they said, Miss Carson, could you come and do the spelling bee? She came up there and she gave a couple words and the kids spelled it. And then she said, thang, I don't have a thang to wear. Three kids misspelled it. <laughs> Another teacher came up to her and leaned in her ear and said, we say thing, thing. This is her testimony. She said, I looked her right in the eye and said, that's what I said, thing. <laughs> when you live down there, you don't know you're saying it different than it's written. <laughs> Let me just tell you, the gospel's the main thing. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. When a church gets off track, off message, they might think something political is the main thing. It's not the main thing. Is it unimportant? No, it's very important. But it's not the main thing. And when church is not careful, they could get off message and make, you know, uh, Christian education the main thing. Is Christian education valuable? Is it very important? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is the gospel and people must hear the gospel. Amen. I'm going to give you another chance to say amen in church. How many believe the gospel is the main thing? Amen. Amen. I was so glad you did that. I knew you were. I just knew it in my heart. Let me say this to you. You just agreed with me that the gospel is the main thing. What's the main thing in your life? For some of you, the gospel is not even in the first three. It might not be in the first ten. 
And yet every one of us in this room, yeah, yeah, the gospel's the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. We've got to tell people the gospel. And yet many of us in this room rarely tell anybody the gospel. That's embarrassing. Well, it is the main thing for the church. Don't start it. Don't get me started here. It should be the main thing of the church, but I'm telling you, friend, if you're one of the brethren, you're part of the church. And the preacher is not the only one that's supposed to preach the gospel. In red letters in Mark 16, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're all supposed to be declarers. We're all supposed to be preachers of the gospel. You mean I'm supposed to get up and yell at people? No, but you are supposed to tell them the bad news and the good news and press on them to receive it. Well, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. All you got to do is say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't had the gospel the main thing in my life. I know it's supposed to be. I'm sorry. Would you help me? All you got to do is pass out tracts. All you got to do is pass out tracts. You go, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. No, no, you don't understand. I'm so bashful. I'm shy. I can't. You can too. I'll, let me, I'll give you a chance. Let me just look in the eyeball and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, there you go. I said it. Because every one of us in this room have talked to an absolute stranger. Every one of us. If you've never been into a fast food store or into a restaurant, well, well, maybe you went to the pharmacy. You've talked to absolute strangers. You're standing in McDonald's and there's somebody up there you don't even know. And you're so shy and backwards you can't talk to them. You're standing there going. And they're saying, may I help you? And they go, uh, number one, would you like to make that big or large? And then they say, what do you want to drink? Coca-Cola. And they want money. And you shy, bashful person that can't talk to a stranger have carried on a conversation with an employee at McDonald's. If you can't talk to people, just walk up to them with a track and just go, number one. (laughs) Every one of us can do that. Don't act like you can't. The gospel is the main thing. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, if you're not saved tonight, or I can say it like this, if you believed in vain, you need to get saved. The Holy Spirit of God and his mercy and his kindness will speak to your heart. He'll bring conviction on your soul and you'll know, I need to take care of this. And you need to take care of it. I would imagine that many of you are saved, but the Holy Spirit of God would convict you and say, hey, you say it's the main thing. Why don't you start making it the main thing in your life?
I ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Bow our heads for prayer. I'd like to pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say thank you. I want to say hallelujah. Mercy. Thank you for the Holy Bible that we are not.